if I were to ask you to write down your favorite movie of all time, what movie would you pick? Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, that'd be hard, because there are several movies that, you know, I, I really like. I, I get that. But if you had to write down just one, what movie would you write down? I, I know mine is very easy. It was my senior year. I had just graduated from high school. Uh, I had gone out on my first date with June. And you don't know how meaningful that was. I mean, I was in a very exciting time in my life. But it was also a very anxious time. I, I remember the day I graduated. We, our graduation was on Sundays. We had high school graduation on Sunday afternoons. And I remember following high school graduation, going out into the parking lot and asking myself, what do I do now? You know, what does the future hold? Now, I knew I was going to Freed Hardeman. I knew I wanted to be a preacher. Yes, I'd kind of mapped out my life, but it was still fixing to change in such dramatic ways that I thought, wow, what do I do now? And then someone said to me, hey, Les, let's go to the movies. There's this new movie out that we've got to go see. And so we took off, went to a nearby town, went to see this movie, and I'll never forget walking out of that movie thinking the world will never be the same. The movie happened to be one called Star Wars. Later it would be renamed Star Wars A New Hope. A New Hope. Now, if you know anything about that movie, you know that it's a movie set in the future, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, and and, and it's basically about a battle between good and evil. There's this terrible Death Star that the Empire has, and they're fixing to use it in order to control the entire universe. And there's a band of rebels. And this little band of rebels are trying to fight the Empire. And, and before long, this little band of rebels are joined by a guy by the name of Luke Skywalker. He just kind of somehow gets pulled into it. He pulls along with him a man by the name of Han Solo, and, and they get caught up in this giant battle between, you know, the Empire and the Rebellion. And, and then you get near the end of the movie. Han Solo has basically washed his hands. He don't want anything to do more with it. He gets his ransom. He gets on his Millennium Falcon, and he flies off. And, and Luke Skywalker's left with just a few other fighters to try and stop this Death Star. So you have this giant battle taking place as these little fighters are going up against this moon-sized Death Star. And, and boy, the battle is raging and, 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 and the rebellion is losing. They're being picked off one right after the other. And then Luke finally makes this one run against the Death Star. And of course, you've got the bad guy. You've got the guy who represents evil. His name is Darth Vader. And Darth Vader's trying to stop him. And right there near the end of the movie, Luke is trying to destroy the Death Star. Darth Vader is right behind him in his spaceship. And all at once, Darth Vader looks and he says, Gotcha. And right as he is about to hit the buttons to kill Luke Skywalker, all at once everything goes crazy and his ship bounces off, thrown out into deep space. You hear Han Solo saying, You know, now, Luke, blow this thing and let's get out of here. And all at once, Luke 
destroys the Death Star, Han Solo, and he fly off as it explodes, and victory is won. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. I just ruined it for you. But it was one of those movies that reached a crescendo right there at the end of where everybody in the theater was cheering. I mean, wow, that was incredible. In many ways, most movies are like that. They, they, they go along until they finally reach a crescendo, and you're like, yes. Uh, now, maybe that one's a little bit better than most, at least in my opinion it is. But you know, in many ways, the book of Romans is like that in our Bible. Now, a lot of us may not realize that. But of all the books of the Bible, the book of Romans is the one where you have this Apostle Paul, this highly educated, trained Jew who's also a Roman citizen. He, he knows the Greek culture. He, he can write the Greek language fluently, speak it fluently, as he can Aramaic, as he can Hebrew. I mean, this highly educated man. And he sits down at a moment in his life, a very difficult moment. A moment where it seems like his world was being torn apart. And he writes this amazing letter to a group of disciples trying to hang on in the very center of the empire, the evil empire, the Roman empire. He's writing to a group of disciples in Rome, urging them to hang on, urging them not to give up, to continue the fight. And when you get in the book of Romans, you come to the 8th chapter. And the 8th chapter is kind of the pinnacle of it. And when he gets there, he begins talking about how bleak everything looks. I want you to notice, beginning in verse 22 of Romans 8, he says, listen, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. He says, listen, it's like the world is messed up right now and it's, it's groaning, but it's groaning like it's in the midst of childbirth. But he says it's not just creation, but notice, not only so, but we ourselves. He says we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are groaning inwardly. We're, we're awaiting our adoption. And yet in the midst of waiting for that adoption, the redemption of our bodies, Paul says, but you know what? We're living through some incredibly troublesome times. To which I think most of us could say amen to that, right? I mean, every time I talk to a fellow preacher and I say, how's it going? He's saying, man, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I've heard more than once people describe the pandemic and trying to survive the pandemic like someone who's flying an airplane while it's being built. And I sometimes think that in our staff meetings, in our elders meetings, as we're trying to figure out how in the world do we reopen and reopen safely and, and how do we, you know, provide the needs for all the people in the church. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for our leadership. And I know it's a challenge for you to live through as well. Paul was going through some difficult times in his life at this time. Incredibly difficult. I want you to look at how he ends Romans. A lot of times we miss this. Notice what he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. That word urge is an incredibly important word. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit. And then look what he asked for. To join me in my struggle. 
Paul is going through something incredibly difficult. Paul's got money he's been collecting. In fact, he's on his way up into Macedonia to collect money. He's going to go down into Achaia where Corinth is. He's going to collect money. He's going to be carrying a large sum of money back to Jerusalem for the poor saints who are living there. And he says, would you pray for me in my struggle by praying to God for me? Pray that I may be kept safe. And then notice what he says. From the unbelievers in Judea. He doesn't know if he's going to get bushwhacked. He doesn't know if he's going to get assassinated. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. But he knows that in every place he goes to, the Spirit speaks and says, Paul, you're in trouble. Paul, you're in trouble. Paul, you're in trouble. You read through the book of Acts, and the, and the churches Paul are vis- is visiting, the churches are saying to him, don't do it. Don't go to Jerusalem, man. You cannot do this. And Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've got to. And so you have this incredible struggle going on in his life. Notice here in Acts 20. And now compelled by the Spirit I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I have to think that Paul was dealing with anxiety probably at the level that a lot of us are. Not sure what tomorrow will hold. Not sure what the future holds. That's kind of the way he felt. And so as you go on in Romans chapter 8, what's fascinating is how Paul says, here's the way we as Christians deal with this. When we're in the midst of hopelessness, when we're in the midst of despair, when we're in the midst of discouragement, and I've experienced all of those in the last several months. I've got to be honest with you. I mean, I've been fighting this, you know, pandemic depression that I think so many of us have been struggling with. How do you get through in a world where, especially, I, I'm a people person. You know, now John Micah's not. John Micah, he, he could care less about people. But I'm a people person, <laughs> being facetious, of course. You know, people like John and I, we like being around people. We like shaking hands, hugging necks. We like people. And, of course, pandemics and isolation causes us to have a lot of struggles. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's a fascinating statement here of where Paul says that when we don't know what to pray for, and June and I pray in the mornings, every morning before we go off to work, and and I've got to be honest with you, our prayers here lately is, Lord, we don't know what's going on in our country. We don't know what's going to happen. Would you work through whatever it is to bring about peace so that the gospel can spread throughout the world? We just groan. And here Paul says the Spirit groans with us. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When we ask God, God, would you just please somehow intercede? God says, of course I will. My Spirit is in you groaning up to me in wordless groans. But in words or in in wordless groans that I understand this according to my will. So you get to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And you get to this God's divine crescendo 
of hope. Paul says, can I tell you something that you can hang your hat on? He says, let me tell you what our God is doing in the world. And so he begins and he says, listen, first of all, we can be assured of this, that God in all things works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, it's important that you get this right, okay? Notice again this phrase here. In all things, God works for the good. It doesn't mean that good things are going to happen to us. That's not necessarily what's going on. I I, I was tuned in this morning to K-Love Radio, one of the Christian radio stations, and there was a song playing. And the basic message of that song is, God, sometimes it is through the difficulties that I see your will. Sometimes it's through the hardship that you mold me into what you need me to be. And that song basically was basically saying or singing the message of Romans 8, verse 28. You know, thinking about Paul's life. Paul finally goes to Jerusalem. This is chapter 21. And I want you to notice what happens to him. He goes up to the temple to worship. The whole city was aroused. And the people came running from all directions. Once they saw Paul there, I mean just chaos erupted. And notice, seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple. I've been into, into some skirmishes before. But I've never been drug out of a church building. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be inside the temple complex and all at once masses of people descend on you and people start dragging you, you know, across the ground outside the temple. And then notice, the gates were shut and while they were trying to kill him. That's Luke's way of saying what was going on. I've been in some fights with my brothers where I thought one or or the other was trying to kill me. I have to admit that. You know, when I was a teenager, we used to have some knockdown dragouts, as we would describe it. But boy, this right here, where people, and it's not one, but it's a multitude, and they're dragging you, and they're trying to kill you. Now, the Roman officials are going to come, and they're going to rescue Paul, but Paul's going to be arrested. He's going to be thrown in prison. He's going to stay in prison for a long time, eventually ending up in Rome. I mean, what the Spirit had predicted had actually come true for the Apostle Paul. And the point we need to realize is that in the midst of the crisis, it's hard to realize that God's still in control. I mean, I think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And you know, when they're standing on the edge of the fiery furnace and they're fixing to be pushed in, I'm not so sure they're sitting there saying to themselves, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. I don't know that they're saying that. They're basically saying, we're fixing to be thrown into the fire. Or Daniel, when he's in the lion's den, Larry Graham, last week I was talking to Larry and he said, I want to give you an insight on on something I just thought of one time when I was studying Daniel. I said, sure. He said, have you ever thought about how long it took Daniel as he's in the lion's den to finally realize that God was protecting him? I mean, initially when he was thrown in and the lions surrounded him, don't you know that Daniel's going the next moment, I'm going to be dead? And then when it got dark, I mean, he spent the night in the lion's den. Can you imagine Daniel sitting there, perhaps praying, I suspected he was, and a lion comes up against him? Can you imagine a lion brushing you in the dark and you can't see it? Maybe you feel its breath on your neck and you you, you can't see it? You know it's there and you're thinking, is this it? Is this the end of the story? I think of Stephen. 
when the Sanhedrin drug him out and began to stone him. He saw Jesus at the right hand of God. And yet at the same time, you've got to know that, that it didn't help any as far as how hard they were throwing the rocks and how painful it was to be hit by them. You see, when we go through struggles, God doesn't say, I'm going to take away all the pain. I'm going to take away all the fear. I'm going to take away all of whatever it may be. He simply says, trust me that I'm working through it for your good. To those who love me, that's what's important. He goes on to say, for God, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You get into this concept here of foreknowledge and predestination, boy, that's a deep subject. And one that I think would challenge any of us. But I think more than anything, what Paul wanted us to know here was that this is a mystery of God that he's working out, but you can be assured of this. God wants you to be saved more than you want to be saved. That's one of the things that's given me so much hope in my life is that Jesus Christ came and died for me. Why? Because God wants me saved more than I want to be saved. And here in this text, basically Paul says, listen, God's got a plan. And that plan has to do with us being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And by the way, he's bringing that out through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that ultimate goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. It's interesting that in Romans chapter 12, he's going to come back and pick up this concept of whose image are you in? Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God made us in his image. We messed it up. Now he's transforming us back into that image. Here's the voice translation. I love this translation. Do not allow the world to mold you into its own image. In other words, don't let the world press you into its image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And he says in the process, you'll be able to figure out what God is doing and what his will is for your life. And I love this, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus is our older brother. And that's what God wants us to know. He goes on in verse 30, And those he predestined, he called. I like what N.T. Wright said about this particular verse and his little commentary on Romans. He says in, in Romans part 1, he said, Paul uses call as a technical term. For what happens when the preaching of the gospel works powerfully in someone's life to bring them to faith, to urge uh, them to baptism, and to flood their hearts with love for God by the Spirit. That's what the call is. It's an invitation. Come, believe, be baptized, and allow God to fill you with His Spirit that then acquaints you with His love. And those He called, He justified very simple word that means he declared us to be his people, free from guilt. As Tony did such a beautiful job during the communion, we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And then he ends by saying those he justified, he glorified. You know, at the end of Star Wars, you have that scene of where... 
you have Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewbacca and they're all coming up in front of Princess Leia and she's putting these different awards on them and thanking them and, and, and the movie ends with everybody there standing in applause because these great three great heroes. Can I just tell you that pales in comparison to what awaits us as we come into the presence of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and John says, and that is what we are. And so Romans 8 ends with this beautiful, profound hope. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to do it? And I love the way he ends it. He says, I'm convinced that death can't do it. Life, angels, demons presence, future, any powers out there. The height can't do it. The depth can't do it. Nothing else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul with that sets the pen down. And he says, that is what Christian hope is. And so if you're not a Christian, you simply need to answer God's call. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized in His name for the remission of sins, filled with His Spirit, so that His love might grow in your life. Thank you again for being here. Uh, I'm down front. If you've got any needs, uh, Mike Ryan's here, one of our shepherds up here in the balcony. If you have a need that he can help with, I know he'd be glad to help you. If you would, let's everyone stand as we go to God in prayer. Father, we live in turbulent times. Seems like the whole world has been turned upside down in the last six months. And Father, it just seems like our, our nation is going through a period of chaos. And yet, Father, you still are on your throne. Jesus is at your right hand. You have filled us, your children, with your spirit. So, Father, help us to realize in the midst of the darkness, you are the light, and you are our hope. And for that, we say thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name, through the power of your Spirit. Amen.